So, a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Oh, we're looking at holy relics. There's a lot of relics of a lot of different religious traditions. Today, we've decided to focus on just Christian relics. I think it's interesting. Most people really hate comparing churches to Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibits. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> there, this whole... Because we all know Ripley's Believe It or Not is mostly nonsense and weird things pushed together to make cool things to look at. And sometimes religion is a little bit that way. <laughs> uh, but the parallels go deeper than the inclination to doubt the veracity of outrageous claims. We also do have jars filled with human body parts. So many jars, so many body parts, so many body parts from the same person. Yeah. When you should only have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. We've got saints that, according to the evidence of... Uh, if you can call it that, of the claims of various churches around the world, uh, the saint had two full bodies and extra legs and arms. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, man, and St. Bernard's going to appear again just briefly. <laughs> but uh, Good times. <laughs> if you're a fan of St. Bernard, our, our Discord family sure likes St. Bernard. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a relic just for him. Yep. Uh, relics of religious importance come in all shapes and sizes and a variety of classifications. Uh, as I was looking into this, I thought it was kind of cool that the imperial tradition Christians, mainly talking about Catholics and Orthodox Christians, and that tradition that survives a little bit in Lutheranism and a handful of other Protestant groups, the old Protestant groups, like uh, the Church of England, um, there's three classes, more or less. Strictly this Three classifications is the Catholic, Roman Catholic tradition, but it's observed a little bit by others as well. It's also just a nice classification system. It's, it's handy. I saw it come up in some of my research. Yeah. So the first class is literally anything directly connected to Jesus. Uh, or, in addition to that, the earthly remains of a saint. Their body parts, pretty much. Their body parts. Yeah. Uh, the second class is any object associated directly with a saint, uh, like something they touched, something they owned, something that was theirs. Um, and these first two classes are officially the sacred things. And then the third class is just devotional. It's pretty much anything that has touched anything in the first two categories. Like, wow. Yeah. If you put St. John's head's plate on your table, bam. Your table is now a third class relic. <laughs> I'm like, can we get this done? <laughs> in theory, yes. In practice, complicated. Mm, These things are well guarded. Well, kind of. You'd think they're a lot better guarded than they are. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things that have gone missing. <laughs> so what we need to do 
This actually is probably not as hard as we think. It's just going to take time. So you need to finish your doctorate. Yeah. And then you got to get a research position studying something in mm -hmm. one of these areas. And then I will bring you like my laptop and be, it'll just be like, ding, and no one needs to know. No one needs to know. <laughs> Except I do want people to know I have a third class relic in my house. So Right. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> Um, well, what what's really clever, uh, there are opportunities where you could take a handkerchief and you know how in the locker room you whip people with a wet handkerchief. You know what I'm talking about. I do, but it's such a man thing. <laughs> so you, not exclusively, but maybe Mostly. more than women. I don't know. I don't maybe. spend a lot of time in the ladies locker room. Good. You're good from the sound of it. Uh, so you take your handkerchief and you do exactly that at a relic in a church. Bam, you've got yourself a holy relic of the third class. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's go to Italy. Let's go to Italy. I should not advocate this behavior um, that would cause, over time, probably not a lot of time, the destruction of these relics. Yes. <laughs> and if you get caught, you'd get in a lot of trouble. So. Oh, for sure. I would, because it definitely sounds like some serious disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just whipping so when we get the to, I was going to say, once we get to John the Baptist's head, you have a, at least a five and six chance of not being disrespectful. <laughs> anyway. anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start with the bones of so the Magi. The, the first on my list is, honestly, really, I don't know how they ever thought that these were the three Magi. We don't even know there were three. Right? <laughs> So in Germany, there is a shrine in Cologne to the three wise men that we hear talked about in Matthew's gospel. Now, if you go back to Josh and the wise guys, our Christmas episode from last year, talk a little bit about more how there might, these people might not even have it existed. <laughs> and again, there's no way that we didn't know if it was one or three or seven right. or 45. Yeah. The scriptural account doesn't give us a number of people, just a number of gifts. And so... We've leaned really hard into this tradition of three wise men. So the bones that are currently enshrined in Cologne, in this shrine to the three wise men, their bones have been moved around a lot. Uh, it's said that they were exhumed in Constantinople in 1164. So midway between here and the time they would have lived. Why they would have been buried in Constantinople is a mystery. It's just... Because they were from the east. I'm trying to like picture my geography. So that doesn't make any no, sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's really weird. I'm like Turkey's northwest of Israel. Am I right? Yeah. So yeah, if they're from the east. Yeah. It's like they couldn't return home when they fled Herod, which they had no reason to do in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... It seems really weird, and it's uh, the, it's called the Shrine of the Three Kings, usually when we talk about it, uh, which helps build up the English tradition of calling them kings when we don't... The story we have in Matthew gives us no reason to call them kings. No. They were mages, magi. Priests. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the whole thing is super weird, but we have bones of... Some guys. Three, we believe they're three guys, but because of how poorly we have been taking care of bones throughout history, 
it could be composites of more people. <laughs> it's it's a little bit weird, but people go there all the time. They report healings. It's it's kind of cool as far as a tradition goes, but it I don't believe that we really have any grounds to call it legitimate. But it okay. has decent we'll pilgrimages that. from year to year. We'll say that a lot. Yeah, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump into this big one next? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so <laughs> pieces of the true cross is another holy relic. So the true cross being the cross on which Jesus was crucified. And you can find pieces of it all over the place. So the hunt the hunt for the cross began with Emperor Constantine, which we know from our um, two previous episodes where we were talking about the death of religion, is that he was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity. So when, when the story around this claims that Constantine's mother, St. Helena, traveled to Jerusalem to find the true cross. And she found a pagan temple, a destroyed pagan temple, uh, or no, she destroyed the pagan temple, excuse me. She found three crosses. So reflecting the story that Jesus was crucified with two thieves. Mm -hmm. And so she got all excited that there were these three crosses that she had found. And so they found a dying woman, <laughs> brought her out to this site. I mean, in the story, I don't think it would have been that hard to find somebody who was dying. Fair. They had just destroyed a temple. They That included a fight for sure. Fair. <laughs> and I mean, you can find dying person in any city you just gotta ask around right i think that in this particular it's situation a... there was one a lot more convenient than one would oh hope. no <laughs> so they found this dying woman and they asked her to touch these three crosses and she touched one and was healed uh so this is the true cross um then helena chopped it up into pieces which feels really blasphemous to me even though i mean so whatever i'm the atheist i don't think she found the true cross at all but like st if you thought it was the true cross you're like you know what the thing to do is chop it up see that doesn't seem so blasphemous to I me. i mean i guess it's hard to transport but like well yeah a full crucifix actually not that huge of a burden to transport you pull it out of the ground it's just a giant beam of wood but to say that such an artifact should be preserved because it killed our god feels really weird. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I'm also, this is where I like the Latter-day Saints Church and where the cross isn't prominent because Ever. it was a torture device. Yeah. And I mean, there's also that great meme on our Discord. <laughs> Why are they worshiping crosses? Why would they think I would like a cross? <laughs> what about my story makes you think I'm into this? <laughs> okay, fair. No, that's a good take yeah. on it. <laughs> So I've heard, I, in, in my research, I read one thing. And then when I was in religious studies, I had heard another thing. Mm -hmm. So my religious studies professor had said that there's so many pieces of the cross out there that you could actually make more than one cross. Like there's like three, <laughs> like you can make three or four full crosses with the amount of pieces of the cross relics around there. I also read one that said there's actually not enough pieces of the cross to make a full cross, which right. made me a little more believable. Especially if it was chopped up and sent all over the place. Um, yeah. John Calvin famously said that there was enough pieces of the cross to build a ship. 
John um, Calvin hated relics, and we've actually quoted him a lot. Um, we'll do a whole episode on Calvinism, but uh, yeah, he's got some good zingers. Right. The problem with a, with this great sounding statement is that only about forty years ago, they actually the the Church of Rome took an account of all of the chunks of the cross that were officially documented. And they found that it adds up to a little less than four pounds of wood. Oh. So, not like enough. you had said, not enough to build a whole cross. <laughs> but again, that, I mean, that's like, there's pieces of the Berlin Wall. It's not enough to make a wall anymore. Cause, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, there is much debate about what type of wood the cross was made out of. And there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of scientists have studied and carbon dated and tested. So... Um, dogwood comes up frequently. <laughs> uh, dogwood has religious connotations. The other two that I found in our research is that uh, is um, pine and olive wood. Mm-hmm. However, some historians argue that it wouldn't be made of olive wood because olive trees were an important olive trees were an important food crop, so you wouldn't waste it on crucifying people. Unless, of course, your olive tree was no longer fruitful, like. There's an argument that says that it's possible, but... Had too many criminals. <laughs> Sometimes you had to crucify an awful lot of people. You would just take the wood that was available to you. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. What else did you find, Preston? Because at some point I had to tap out of this one. So, <laughs> in addition to these chunks of wood, we also got a lot of chunks of iron. The Catholic Church acknowledges that there are at least 30 nails that claim to be the tools of the crucifixion. But... Since there weren't more than four, (laughs) that we've got a little bit of a math problem here. (laughs) What? (laughs) But the Catholic Church has an explanation for this as well. Uh, In their encyclopedia, they say officially, probably the majority began by professing to be facsimiles which had touched or contained filings from some other nail whose claim was more ancient. Without conscious fraud on the part of anyone, it is very easy for imitations in this way to come in a very brief space of time to be reputed originals. Basically, it's them saying, we don't, we don't know. know. <laughs> and I mean, the, the thing is, it's like we obviously have artifacts far older than 2,000 years. So mm-hmm. absolutely, you could have a nail in carbon data and have it be 2,000 years old. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's used on Jesus, though. Especially right? when we know how much crucifixion was happening at that the time. The Romans loved crucifying loved people. <laughs> loved it. Um, so it could just be, yeah, absolutely you can find a nail from 30 mm-hmm. BC. Yeah. Sure. Probably was. <laughs> <laughs> but like you mentioned before, the veneration of an implement of torture seems a little psychotic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know if we want to dive into this one, but I mean, lots of Christians wear cross necklaces and have cross tattoos, and mm-hmm. so. And I generally mean, this speaking, this is obviously broader a broader topic than relics, but yeah. Recognizing the cross as the symbol that unifies Christianity as the worshippers of Christ is a thing I I can get my head around. A symbol that unifies us, fine. But to actually but, own a own a piece to, to own it and celebrate its ownership and venerate the item and invite people to come and bring their worship to this item i guess it's like owning really a, a gun that killed your mother a little bit yeah. but like not just owning it but like putting it on display I mean, in your like home. guys look at this thing yeah that's yeah. i that, see that it. feels a little psychotic i can see the yeah okay 
that that's my feelings on it anyway. Ooh, our first of many heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have the head of St. Catherine. So Catherine was born... Kathy. Hello, thanks, Chris. <laughs> Kathy was born in 1347 in Siena, Italy. She was one of the great mystical and spiritual writers of the church at the time and is honored with the title of church doctor. Not since 1970. Yeah, it took a long time for the popes to give her that honor, but that's okay because they did eventually. Oh, I like this next fact about her. She... <laughs> She famously referred to the Pope as Babbo, the Italian equivalent for daddy, instead of your highness. I like that level of sass and confidence that she's right? got. <laughs> yeah. But her story gets a little bit weird. <laughs> At age 21, she married Jesus. She claims Jesus came to visit her and engage in a spiritual marriage. Because, of course, Jesus has been dead and gone for a thousand years. No big deal. <laughs> she had been a nun, but Jesus told her to go out into the world. Which, okay, that seems like decent advice. Go out into the world. If you want to spread the message, that's how you do that. Is this where consecrated virgins come from? No, no, that's an old... Even Roman. older than... Yeah, Rome was interested in consecrated virgins before long before Saint this. Before St. Catherine. Okay, interesting. Oh, yeah. That's like Vesta. Just, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So the weird thing about this new relationship that Catherine had with Jesus is that when he gave her a wedding ring, it was his foreskin. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about Jesus' foreskin later, <laughs> but this is Buckle up. her story. <laughs> Buckle up, guys. We're going to talk about Jesus' foreskin. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, because, um, I mean, yeah, with Vesta, but like, Consecrated virgin, virgins are recognized in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just because Rome has a hard oh, time actually changing their traditions. Okay, fair. Um, <laughs> I want to do a whole episode on consecrated virgins and nuns. Sure. I would keep on saying virgins. Virgins <laughs> and nuns. You gotta Sorry. go in there with a the hard J. G. Sure, but it's making I a J so. sound. <laughs> wow. All right. Press gun. Get going. <laughs> Another interesting thing about St. Catherine, and these, we've, we've talked about weird saints. This doesn't, it's not even that crazy. She's not one of our bad saints that we like to talk about. But she also rece received the stigmata when she was 28, which of course was something that was invented by Francis of Assisi. I like that you put invented. <laughs> uh, and just for, if you haven't heard the term, the stigmata are the holes in your hands. Or head or feet. Oh, interesting. I've... Anything that... Uh, any hole in your body that would bleed in a place where Jesus would have been bleeding when he was hanging from the cross counts as a, as a stigmata. Pope Pius, the one before John Paul, had stigmata too, which he was never let a doctor test. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, yeah. So good old Catherine. She wasn't from Rome, but that's where she died. And the Pope insisted on keeping her body there. It just made him happy. Daddy! Right? This, I'm suspicious, but I don't want to make accusations, you know? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Preston. Uh, anyway, <laughs> her community back in Siena thought it would be really great to bring her body back home. 
and they were having a hard time convincing anyone to let them do that. So they prayed to Catherine, because Catholics do pray to saints, and they needed the help to get it done. They got this idea that since we can't smuggle her whole body out, that's too hard. Let's cut off her head, drop it in somebody's uh. lunch bag, and carry that past the guards. Then it it almost didn't work. The guards are like, hey, what you got in the bag? They open it up. No head. Just a pile of rose petals. You know what? I couldn't get into Canadian Tire with a bag today. <laughs> they made me take it back to my car. Rude. Yeah. We should have turned into rose petals then. <laughs> yeah, it's so having this head turn into rose petals, scientifically, nonsense. Theologically, why? <laughs> it's a miracle, Preston. I guess so. It's just you gotta have faith building miracles, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> Most of her body is still in Rome. But since her head was carried off, a few other body parts have also wandered off around the like world. Like on their own accord? Or more <laughs> smugglers? Have been taken. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Not wandering off on their own. That would be alarming. <laughs> I mean, is any of this not alarming? Well, okay. So let's imagine this. Her, She's got a leg off somewhere. I can't remember where off the top of my head right now. And I didn't write it in the notes. But... To know for sure that it's Catherine's leg, someone has to testify that this thing hopping off on its own is legitimate. Mm. If you have just a leg show up somewhere, that's a lot harder to confirm a source. Fair. <laughs> I stole it. Uh, and we're going to see some cases of where stolen things complicate claims of authenticity. <laughs> talking about john the baptist already or more more, more. but i mean that's it's not one relic that has this as part of its story that's a lot of relics are stolen goods <laughs> i mean museums are filled with stolen goods so right <laughs> now on to i'm so sorry this this episode is literally me gagging so we are so talking about a lot of gross body parts. I feel like we should have put a trigger warning in the beginning. Maybe we'll record a trigger warning at the end <laughs> to put on the beginning. That's not a bad idea. Because even though I'm like crawling out of my skin, I don't like gory things, though, for our listeners. I don't like gory things. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, let's talk about the blood of St. Januarius. Yeah. Good old Gennaro, as he's known in Italy. <laughs> There's a fancy bottle shaped kind of like a baby's rattle all of the containers that hold these relics are well not all of them the vast majority of the containers that hold these relics are weird shapes and really often have a handle underneath them in in like a baby's rattle kind of situation yeah. so you I'm can hold rocka. them up so people can see them yeah yeah <laughs> so this why uh, there's a fancy word for it and i didn't use it because i wanted to keep the language simple but i should say the word it's a reliquary oh wow yeah and reliquaries come in a lot of fancy shapes oh i think that's a good word yeah i'm surprised words guy over here didn't <laughs> put in the notes reliquary it just thing holds relic reliquary <laughs> so this fancy bottle that holds a couple of vials is said to hold a bunch of the dried up blood of St. Gennaro. 
who died in the 14th century CE. Uh, the blood is said to have been taken by a slave named Eusebia right after Gennaro died, and he kept it until he could take it to Naples with the remains of the martyr. And it was kept in Naples in Italy for a good long time until today. It liquefies a couple of times every year. This is weird. Like, blood is, doesn't is do there... That. Is there proof, like video or photo evidence that it does? There's thousands of witnesses. Okay. Like it's a thing that happens so consistently, but not perfectly consistently. There's there's a big ritual celebration and they present the blood so everyone can see it. And so one of them is on uh, San Gennaro's feast day, September 19th, September 19th. And then again on December 16th, which is the day of the Archdiocese of Naples, with St. Gennaro as their patron saint. And it almost always liquefies on both of these dates. Sometimes it'll liquefy on other days as well. Sometimes it fails to liquefy on these dates. And those are notable exceptions. Like somebody's got a list of dates where it has failed to liquefy. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really weird because if it was blood... Scientifically, all the experiments that we've ever run say once you reliquify dried blood, it will never dry up again. So, we've got ourselves a miracle. <laughs> or, it's not blood. <laughs> well, you have more notes on this and I'm yeah. intrigued. <laughs> so, there are times where it takes longer to liquefy than other times. There's no set, sure amount of time. And it doesn't correlate with the temperature of the room or anything like that. It's really weird. <laughs> What's really interesting is that the times when it fails to liquefy, it, it coincides with occasions that might preoccupy the local priests, which is really easy to say, oh, somebody's being sneaky and getting in there and, and doing something so that it will liquefy beforehand. But it is strictly forbidden and strictly guarded that you don't get to open the container that the two tiny vials are in. Nobody has access to these things. Oh. It's really weird. <laughs> and weirder that sometimes they'll liquefy off schedule. I mean, all, all of it is really weird. See, I think it's more weirder that it liquefies on a schedule. Right. Because if it's an unstable substance, then to be to not have a schedule makes sense. But to... All of I, it's weird. <laughs> I assume they pick the days based off of the blood liquefaction, not the blood knowing it's the saint's day. Well, blood doesn't know things. Like that's, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. <laughs> blood um, doesn't know things. Thank you, Preston. <laughs> so they, they've run a special kind of test. Uh, spectroscopy is a thing that they can do where they just shine light through it, measure how the light reflects refracts through it it's a thing we did when i was in high school so i've got an idea of how it's kind of a thing that can be reliable in some things is how we know what elements are in the sun things like that and it matches hemoglobin according to the people who are doing the tests but it doesn't behave like hemoglobin honestly the scientific method is really frustrating for this whole thing because it doesn't behave perfectly predictably really annoying <laughs> and they can't test it in a way that they would want to test right you can't open it up and say oh yeah it's blood because you, you would be destroying the relic to do that 
which when a thing has religious significance means you're gonna have a bad day in that argument yeah <laughs> so some scientists have suggested that the vials contain hydrated iron oxide which is a component in blood more or less um it would have been available centuries ago it looks like blood it rusts in the right color iron well iron oxide will come later for the shroud of Turin as well so. right sure so again if it was just iron oxide hydrated it would usually behave in a reliable predictable way weird that this blood doesn't the problem i have with it is that theologically why would this be a thing that god would bother messing with i don't get it that's that doesn't jive with my usefulness for god in the universe i guess <laughs> i mean yeah there's a lot of other things he could be doing right <laughs> another weird thing is that this phenomenon is fully unique to the area surrounding naples there are about 20 other saints whose preserved blood occasionally liquefies and even though john the baptist is on this list it's at a shrine in the naples area this thing of liquefying blood is specific to one little part of italy interesting nowhere else in the world is this happening Huh. yeah it's very weird i kind of like this one because it's like there's no answer to it i mean there's there is we just don't have we don't have access to the fair whereas like we know right there's enough records that we know catherine said it was probably actually stolen and taken somewhere mm -hmm. john the baptist a little more complicated don't mm -hmm. know that one and then a uh, piece of the cross you know it's probably fraud probably frauds from <laughs> the most part yeah. For as many pieces of the cross, and we'll get to the same with John the Baptist. For right. as many pieces of the cross, are sure, maybe one is real, but we'll never know. Right. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, the Magi we know is not true even a little bit. Well, I mean, so. we, we, we can't say with 100% certainty that there's no truth to it, but it's... with an awful lot of heavy confidence, yes. <laughs> so my suspicion with this thing about the liquefying blood being specifically focused in Naples out of the whole world and all the cool relics that we find, I'm very confident that there's one weird little priestly magic tradition. I was going to say some sort of roadside attraction from... Yeah. Some dude Figured started this it, out. Yeah. probably taught it to a couple other dudes, yeah. and said, hey, this is a thing that we're going to do because this is going to get people's attention forever. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> That's my suspicion. That's the way it feels to me. Yeah. Interesting. Another, um, I guess, a first degree. This one's directly connected directly to Jesus. JC. A big deal. So this is the Shroud of Turin, which is believed to be Jesus's burial shroud. It is 14 feet. It's, it is 14 foot length of linen depicting the image of a man in negative. And the man has crucifixion and scourging wounds which we'll get to but what so, say it <laughs> i before I, we even talk about what the shroud of turin like the, what the artifact is the story of how it would have come to be the way it is feels a little bit weird well you should dive into that it's the <laughs> theological christian <laughs> so for the shroud of turin to be real and look the way it does 
which we'll get spoiler into. warning i don't think it's legit no we'll talk about <laughs> that yeah uh for it to be real and have the appearance it has it would have to be like the body of jesus when his spirit came to reoccupy the dead body again that he would have been almost on fire <laughs> mm, i see what you're saying yep yeah, uh, which feels a little weird. Definitely, if you're listening to this and you're probably on your phone, pull this one up. It's really interesting. Um, so the first appearance of the Shroud of Torn was in 1354, and no one on from like religious higher ups have taken an official position on it. Pope <laughs> Francis says it is an icon of a man scourged and crucified. That's a nice all he'll say on it. No responsibility statement. <laughs> It has been carbon dated, which puts it squarely in the Middle Ages. Uh, and <laughs> any attempts to challenge that have been disproved using the scientific method. Of course, even though it is it is a forgery, um, many people dispute that. <laughs> and we still don't know how the person made it. Um, and there's been tons of research on, the, on how this image got onto this fabric with no definitive answers. It is actually one of the most heavily studied artifacts of all time. The great thing about that is the idea that, yeah, everyone, well, not everyone, an awful lot of people think it's important, but not so important that we can't run tests on it. Right. <laughs> so they have tested this brownie color that is supposed to be blood, and there's no definitive proof that it's blood. Um, and so these blood patterns, air quotes, have actually been tested they actually had human volunteers and mannequins. And so what they did was they put in essentially blood drips. So the mannequin had the scourging blood mm -hmm. drips and then these people had crucifixion blood drips. And they I laid them out and see how your blood would flow had you these injuries. And it's not this pattern at all. <laughs> it's like, honestly, the shroud is like very neat for someone who has just lost all their blood. Sure. It's like, it's feel like, it looks like a little paper cuts. It's like, mm, it would be soaked in blood. Um, uh, I love that they did this experiment. Right? I'm like, I don't know if I'd volunteer for that, but we also know that my stomach is queasy just talking well, about Well, and <laughs> even just what we see from the filming of The Passion of the Christ, faithful people are willing to go to great lengths to know stuff. <sighs> when that movie came out, and even around East, well, we don't have cable now, so it's not so bad. But, like, I would turn the TV off when the trailer came on. So I've never even seen the trailer for it. I imagine the trailer's not bad because it's for, like, public viewing. But even then, I would turn it off. And then I would, like, avoid television around Easter. Sure. Because it's just, like, I've put this on the Discord. This is, like, the this makes my skin crawl. I mean, watching somebody be tortured isn't a thing that should bring you comfort. No, that's true. <laughs> but, like, you know... I've watched some gory movies. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Only the Pope can declare a public viewing of the Shroud, and it doesn't happen very often. Even if it is only 700 years old, it is still very delicate. The next showing, everyone, is in 2025, and this is declared by Pope John Paul. <laughs> so this is declared a long time ago, because Francis, and well, we had Francis and Benedict, too. Right. Um... It happens in turn in Italy, Shroud Torn. The Shroud has its own website, theshroud.com, where you can like keep tabs on this. So <laughs> if you have any moderate interest, 
Um, and Sign see, up now. <laughs> and seeing this puppy, stay on it because it will be jam-packed with pilgrims mm-hmm. to, um, to go see it. So if you want to see it for a religious reason, stay on it. If you want to see it for interest sake, there will be tons of pilgrims. I'm not saying don't see it. Just prepare yourself. And go in knowing that it's definitely a fraud. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. There's like, yeah, there's literally nothing that makes sense. But it is cool that we don't know how it was made. I was just seeing what's next. (laughs) All right. Next on our Uh, list, we have the heads of St. John the Baptist. That's right. If we got a, like a Zaphod Bubelbrock situation, there's more than one head. <laughs> I know. I was telling Brian. So he's like, was, was St. John a Hydra? <laughs> <laughs> Cut one off. Two more tickets, Tomorrow. please. Well, there's... If you trust the church, there's some evidence that he was. <laughs> Even though the biblical account says, nah, this bro was dead when they cut off his head the first time. I was like, the church says he's a Hydra? What did I miss? The church says he's got three heads. We got and that. We got, I found records of at least six, so. Oh, dang. That's past what I found, so that's great. Yeah. I mean, Unless I'm... some of these have been moved from one to another, but I found one, two, three, four, five, at least five. That's fantastic. Yeah, got a ton of heads. <laughs> so St. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod Antipas sometime before the crucifixion of Jesus. And he was supposedly buried somewhere in Palestine. Today, his tomb is in Nabi Yahya Mosque. Nabi Yahya Mosque in Mosque of the Prophet John. That's what that translates to in mm-hmm. Northwest Palestine. The problem is, Preston, <laughs> is that several places claim to have his head simultaneously. So I'm on board with the idea that somebody was ha- happy to have his head. The story says that that's the case that we have in the New Testament. But at what point was this head collected from somebody who had no faith in Jesus or John the Baptist and started being trafficked by faithful Christians? That's a mystery still. I am also upset for whoever the other four to five heads are. Right? (laughs) So this is a great one because we know at least five of them are lying, maybe all six. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so there is a head at Amiens Cathedral in France. The Knights Templar had possession of the head in, in France during the Inquisition. That, at least that's what's sure. said. So the, that head was there anyway. Yes, someone's <laughs> head was there. And they're saying it's John the Baptist. The Eastern... Okay, okay, so this, I guess this technically isn't the head. Eastern, The Eastern Orthodox Church in Jerusalem is supposed to have a piece of his skull... Okay. Which is weird when there's full heads on display. Right? Some of them even have their skin on without evidence of part of a skull being taken. Right. That's what I mean. So, technically not a full head. Don't at me. But (laughs) a piece of a head. The Basilica of San Silvestro in Rome. Or this is uh, St. Sylvester. Mm Mm-hmm. It was brought to Rome by Greek monks in this version, and some researchers suggest that it's the head of a local martyr who happens to be named John. But the head is fully, fully visible, visible, which I thought was worth noting. Yeah. That a lot of them aren't. They're wrapped up. 
this one we can see the head we can see the face and obviously because it's hella old it's hella gross hella gross and like it doesn't look like john anymore for sure not as we used not to not in know. his prime anyway <laughs> terrible people uh there's one in the residence museum in munich this one is wrapped in cloth and heavily bedazzled mm-hmm. it's fancy and then the umayyad mosque in damascus has a head of john the baptist this one is also wrapped in in cloth and not that this verifies anything but <laughs> pope john paul did visit the mosque on a trip to syria in 2001 so now, again, that doesn't give it any validity. There's also one in Rome where the Pope lives. <laughs> but mm-hmm. a, a worthwhile enough for the Pope to make the trip, so. Yeah. There is also a rumor that the head might be held at a Romanian monastic community called Skete Prodromus at the Great Lavra Monastery. Hmm. So that's one, two, three, four, five, and a skull chunk. Five heads in a skull chunk. They can't all be legit. Because I feel like somebody would have told us if John was a Hydra. I really feel like that would have been heavily featured in the Bible. If only because people didn't have last names. Right? So just to clarify who someone is, John of the five heads, then you'd know exactly who. Right? Describing yeah. somebody by their profession, handy in a lot of situations. Son of, son of, son of, wordy, but... Right. But if a dude has a major defining personal feature, <laughs> that gets called out. Right. <laughs> oh, dear. Like five heads. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, what was his name? Hiram McDaniels. Hiram the dragon with the five heads. Yeah. Yeah. Hiram McDaniels, not a biblical figure. Unless you want to... Hiram is a biblical name, though. It is. Ooh. It sure is. McDaniel's not a very not biblical so surname, though. No. <laughs> Hiram, son of John the Baptist. <laughs> uh, for those of you who know Night Vale, you know Hiram McDaniel's. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Night Vale. It's a fabulous podcast. Um, yeah. They don't need our support. They don't need our support, but we need their support. That'd be great. <laughs> Next on our list, and St. Bernard's a happy guy every time we bring it up, Mother Mary's milk. (laughs) Yum. (laughs) That's a very popular relic during the Middle Ages and still has a little popularity today. Kind of weird. There is a milk grotto in Bethlehem where Mary is said to have breastfed Jesus. So far, makes sense, story-wise. Somehow her milk made it onto the walls? Now the story got weird. What's going on? I mean, <laughs> neither of us are breastfeeding mothers. No. So I don't know how far breast milk can shoot. I mean, if you're committed, you can fire it. That's a thing that can happen. Also, I just sure. don't know why you would waste it either. Right? But Especially yeah. when we have every reason to believe they were poor. If you're a mom <laughs> and want to let us know why you would squirt or waste your breast milk, please let me know in our Discord. Well, anyway... The story goes, some made it onto the wall, which is where they scraped it from to put it into vials. When? Who? What? (laughs) Creepy. And again, Jesus isn't any, well, I guess there were the magic coming, but like he, Jesus isn't anyone yet, really. Right. You know? 
So it is extra weird. Well, and mo most interpretations of the story have the Magi coming a long time after like the years, birth. years, yeah. Like when they weren't living in Bethlehem anymore. Yeah. Of course, there's some versions of this. Some interpretations of the story have them staying in Bethlehem instead of being in Nazareth to avoid the killing of children. But also the story says that they went down to Egypt for this escape. We got weird bits of story that make this particular relic really unlikely to be authentic. <laughs> Keep going, Preston. So anyway, they scraped the dried residue of milk into vials. Um, her milk had turned the rocks of the grotto white, which makes it seem like that was an awful lot of milk. <laughs> or the entire one little squirty squirt. Turn the entire grotto into milk rocks. Now, are we saying... Or just chalk. <laughs> so either this is a massive Miracle sexual event. So... <laughs> or, <laughs> or it's absolute nonsense. Or and... it's a massive miracle that was not covered in any of the books of the Bible. Right. <laughs> That's the Here's the atheist being like... <laughs> Have some suspended disbelief here. And you're like, um, you know. Uh, as somebody who believes this is a thing that I'm just, I'm not on this wagon. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the residue that was collected from the walls that were turned white with the mass quantities of milk <laughs> or magic or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this residue is said to have healing powers, which is a thing that a lot of people testify to over the centuries. Yeah. So new mothers or women who are trying to conceive will visit the milk grotto and they'll mix the milk walls chalk with their food, which is supposed to increase chances of pregnancy. If you are in those categories and are curious, you can't actually order... This residue online, you have to go to the grotto itself, but you can. You can go today and get <laughs> and scrape a little bit off for a yourself. Bit and, and put in your milkshake and get pregnant. Ah, if only pregnancy worked that way. So, 90 churches claim to have or have claimed to have vials of Mary's milk, either a liquid or powdered form. That's right, not just powder from the walls, but liquid. You know, mixing chalk with water will give you something that I mean, looks a can, lot like skim you can, milk. <laughs> powdered milk is a thing, Preston. It is. You can rehydrate milk. Yeah, it's not as good, but nope. I mean, you're. We're, this uh, one is would 2000... say you shouldn't drink it, but that is the goal for this these. Two thousand year old milk. Ugh. <laughs> oh, I didn't think this one would make me gay. Oh. No. Um, uh, it just here licked, we are. <laughs> I licked the pop filter doing that too. Oh. Yeah, you shouldn't drink it but who am i so john calvin again really didn't like these relics <laughs> <laughs> he's so sassy i love this one so much he says even if she had been a cow her whole life she could not have produced such a quantity of milk now 90 bottles this that seems actually pretty achievable doesn't it i mean i'm not a mother and have no intention to be but if you pumped a couple bottles a day, 180 days is only half a year. Yeah, right. that seems reasonable. Right. Some people breastfeed for far too long. Right. Uh, and we're not talking full bottles. We're 
What we're looking at here is little vials in these churches. And just to be clear, I mean, like, when you're breastfeeding to, like, 10 years old, that's too long. 100% agreed. I'm not here to be like, ooh, you breastfed for, like, a year and a half. You, I mean, like, when they can talk (laughs) back to you and just, like, walk up to you and latch on, that's too long. I was definitely having what counts as sexual thoughts about boobs long before I was 10 years old. So... Yeah, that bar needs to not be at 10 yeah, years old. Yeah, if your old. kid can say, hey, mom, can I have a drink? That's too old. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, here you go, Preston, the one you've been waiting for. Uh, we warned you. We were going to talk about foreskins again. And, man, have we got a lot to say about Jesus' turtleneck. <laughs> uh, I don't know why anyone would have this. It's... it. I don't get it. <laughs> then I commented in the notes, I don't know why anyone would have any of these, but I see your point, Preston. Of all of the things, like, having the milk doesn't actually make sense. Claiming that this is the grotto that she breastfed in and turned the walls away with the milk, that feels crazy. But this is a whole nother level of crazy. The, the holy prepuce... Well, is the the fancy name for a foreskin for Jesus calamari ring, (laughs) and there's Uh, (laughs) I I can't get behind any explanation on why this is a thing that anyone would possess, much less with certainty that it belonged to Jesus. But there is an old someone just owns a random foreskin. How many foreskins are out there in the world? About as many as there are human No, males. I mean, of Jesus' foreskin. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know the okay, number. I'm going to Google that while but you it's, talk. It's terrible. I, I actually, <laughs> actually, I was like, I was going to Google it, and then I realized I don't want to type how many Jesus foreskins are there in my phone. <laughs> uh, France has at least 11. Oh, okay. So we've, there's a lot. Okay. okay. I don't need to Google um, that. I just so, need to know if there was more than one. So the... Going back to the St. John Hydra thing, (laughs) Jesus, apparently, based on the existing evidence of the Catholic tradition, uh, Jesus just really didn't want to be circumcised, even though the story is that he's the one who started all of this way back in the days of Abraham. (laughs) Because if it keeps growing back, and he's got, he has the power. (laughs) I'm clenching, and I don't even have a penis. (laughs) Anyway... So, as much as I can't think of any reason why anyone would both possess it and genuinely believe that it's the genuine relic, there is an old Arabic infancy gospel that says, When the time of his circumcision came on the eighth day, when the law commanded the child should be circumcised, they circumcised him in a cave. That's a weird choice of location, but fine, let's move on. Unhygienic, okay. (laughs) And the old Hebrew woman took the foreskin and kept it in an alabaster box with old spikenard oil. Okay, weird thing to do, but the biblical story does say that people recognize Jesus as being special from birth. So, okay. okay. we'll keep suspending disbelief. That's that's the story. Okay. Uh, so, this lady, she, the text goes on to say, she had a son who was a druggist. Uh, that's that's the word I found in the version of the text I was using. That seems very modern. It, it, it does. A pharmacist feels a little too modern, though. 
So I I let it stick with the word druggist. It's a dude who makes drugs. I know, but I feel like herbalist or something sure. would have been herbalist is accurate. Fair. Herbalist anyway. is fair. So she had a son who was a herbalist. <laughs> she told him, do not sell this alabaster box of spikenard ointment, even when you were offered 300 denarii for it. Now this is the same alabaster box that the sinner Mary obtained and poured its ointment on the head and feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and wiped it with her hair. Like that Mary Magdalene? A lot of people say that that was Mary Magdalene. The Bible does not say that it's Mary Magdalene. Okay. It's Mary the sinner. Okay. There's... Miriam was a very common name in Israel at the time. And we've we've talked about this before. There was one pope who said there's too many people in the Bible. If they have the same name, they're the same person now. (laughs) (laughs) Which is obviously a problem. (laughs) Considering Mary's mom and Mary Magdalene are two very different people. Yeah. Uh, he took the list of several Marys down to two or three, something like that. It was ridiculous because obviously Mary Magdalene is not Jesus Mary the Jesus' mom. mother. But we got what we got. <laughs> <laughs> so this story tells us how the foreskin was preserved. Now, the that last verse, though, this is the same alabaster box that the sinner Mary obtained. I feel really weird about this. Like the coincidence feels unnecessary for this for it to be part of the story. But also, if I end up buying a box that's got some spikenard oil in it, because that's what I'm after, and I see some dude's foreskin, that's probably gonna hit the trash. <laughs> At least the foreskin. Maybe the whole box, depending on how I'm feeling that day. <laughs> Did And would Jesus have known it was his foreskin? Because there's... N- this, is a, this is the context that we I, have. I feel... Because, like, if I was like, no. hey, Preston, I'm going to pour this oil on your hands and feet. Don't mind that there's a foreskin in it. <laughs> right. Would you be like, ooh, can we get another, can we get another <laughs> container? Or, but, and then, okay, and then what and if I was no like... there's no way Mary would be like, oh, and it's, don't worry about it, it's your... I was going to say, and then what no if... way. <laughs> don't worry. Even if it was, if it was yours, would you be like, oh, okay, go ahead. Or would you no. be like, ew, no, that's like 30 years old. Right? That's, okay. This thing's got to be gangrenous or... <laughs> well, maybe not gangrenous. That, I think that's Rotting. a little more complicated. It would, de- well, it would be preserved in the uh, oil. Yes, I mean, I'm not Google. I'm not Googling it. I just, a oh, loose foreskin in the oil, to oh. me, makes the oil not usable in a human application. Okay, and then it says she wiped her hair with it, or yeah. wiped it with her hair, wiped the foreskin. Wiped his feet. With her hair. With her okay, hair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still gross. Uh, because there was a foreskin in it. It was just <laughs> oily hair on feet. It was just oily hair on feet. Still not my thing, mm-hmm. but not so bad. But foreskin oil. <laughs> Makes it worse. So, so uh, what, we, what we what we get from this story in the Arabic infancy gospel is somebody decided to preserve the foreskin, told son, don't sell it, not even for 300 denarii. And then he sold it anyway, meaning that we've got a problem with the record of the foreskin. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe this... Hebrew woman, this was like her thing, kind of like a serial killer. Sure. And maybe well, would, all would you they put it on a necklace, though. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe all her son sold was foreskin oil. I don't know, but 
And remember, St. Catherine also received the gift of the foreskin wedding ring from Jesus. the special personal revelation of Jesus' appearance. So, yeah, but Jesus gave that to her. That's different. That's mystical. Right. But this is I physical. forgot to add that to the list of all the foreskins that oh. we're going to cover now. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> so in addition to that, several groups have simultaneously claimed to have the Savior's turtleneck. Calamari ring. I like calamari. <laughs> sure. It actually, uh, uh, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> the cheese toque. <laughs> I did like cheese toque. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so anyway, one of them, the one that's considered most highly, most valued among all of them, uh, was a gift from Charlemagne to Pope Leo the Third after he was made emperor in 800 CE on Christmas. Old Charles said that it was given to him by an angel. So basically it's, I don't have to explain where I got this foreskin. I got it from an angel. <laughs> the angel gave it to him when he was visiting the place where Jesus is thought to have been buried, not the cave where he was thought to have been circumcised, according to the old Arabic tradition. It's just a weird place to receive this gift, but whatever. That's the, that's the story. Uh, this was allegedly confirmed when Bridget of Sweden received a vision confirming that the foreskin was in Rome, which, of course, this miracle got her sainted. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, weirdly enough, the, the foreskin was stolen when Rome was sacked in 1527. <laughs> the German who stole it was allegedly caught a little bit north of Rome in the village of Calcutta. Not Kolkata, not Calcutta, but Calcutta in Rome, or in Italy, where the foreskin remained until 1983, oh. when it was again reported stolen. <laughs> 1983, that's very recent. Yeah. I think you'd look after your foreskins better. <laughs> right? So for a, a little over 400 years, after being in Rome for a long time, it just chilled out in this sm smaller village for all kinds of pilgrimages. So went missing in 1983. That's a problem. That's here's where it gets a little bit twisty though, is the container, the reliquary that was supposed to house this foreskin was also counted among Vatican assets in 1905. So did somebody just well, not somebody, everybody just failed to notice for 80 years that it wasn't in Calcutta anymore? I don't know. <laughs> Calcutta was just, like, taking in the money from the pilgrims and just, like, not saying anything. I don't know. Uh, or maybe the Calcutta skin ring was a fraud from the start. <gasps> no. <laughs> None of these are frauds, Preston. How dare you? Right? But the weird thing is that so it's been reported stolen and everything, and nobody's gone back to this list and said, oh, and gone through all the boxes of things and actually grabbed the purported foreskin reliquary from 120 years ago. Uh, decisions in Rome? Outside my power. Yeah. I think I'd be more helpful if I was over there. <laughs> well... We can do that, but you first you have to convert. Which I just have no interest in doing. And then you gotta go to seminary. I mean, 
I've done that, but not a Catholic seminary. So you do that. that's that. You got to divorce your wife? Yeah, the Catholic tradition just isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> because Amanda's so cute. She's pretty cute. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, there are several other claimants. There's one in Spain. There's one in Belgium, in Antwerp. There's one in Germany. Uh, Antwerp's holy cheese toque was a gift from King Baldwin of Jerusalem in 1100 CE. And they built a, ca a cathedral specifically to house this relic. But it was also stolen in 1566. So like reasonably shortly after the one was stolen from Rome and then found in Calcutta. So there was definitely like a foreskin thief. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Foreskin. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a weird place in time. Anyway, but like I mentioned before, France has at least 11 distinct claimants to the title of the Divine Turtleneck. There's an abbey in Charoux that claims Charlemagne gave them the foreskin that he got from the angel. So this directly conflicts with the details we have about the one from Rome and Calcutta. Uh, they offered to let Pope Innocent III inspect its authenticity, but he didn't really want to admit to being an expert on the subject. <laughs> so he just said, nah, yes, you say what you want, fun. I'm not going to inspect it. <laughs> uh, it went missing at some point. Yep. Because, like we said, somebody's going around stealing these things. That's so weird. I don't know who this person <laughs> is. Uh, but it was found again, or, or maybe replaced, in 1856, when a worker allegedly found it hidden inside a wall. Why? <laughs> Why are you putting chunks of some water uh, in the don't, wall? Don't. Did you put it? Uh, you put it that way. <laughs> um, most of France's huge collection of dick skin was lost by the time of the French Revolution, though. So good. I don't. I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like it's probably for the best to I get rid. So. We do not need this many foreskins. <laughs> Um, at all. Yeah. But interesting. So we've, we've got like 15, at least separate ones that I've been able to research on. But since the theft of the most popular foreskin in 1983, the one from Calcutta, claims of possessing the foreskin have been awfully quiet. There have been a few documentary quests to find the holy foreskin which to me feels about as ridiculous as looking for the Holy Grail. I'm going to I'm going to say it's actually more ridiculous than looking for the Holy Grail. That's fair. At least it's an, <laughs> not a cup. Right. And not a chunk of skin. Mm -hmm. uh, well, see, looking for a part of the body of Christ, legitimate or not, <laughs> feels roughly on par to a generic cup that was definitely one of many at what just happens to be a dinner that Jesus participated in. Jesus drank from a lot of cups over the course of his lifetime. The one that was the first official Jesus, the host of the Passover that we recognize in biblical tradition doesn't make the cup any more special yeah. <laughs> to me anyway. I know that thousands of people disagree, and that's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, we've got a serious issue with the foreskin, and all of these claims, nobody's stepping up to say, oh, yeah, I got the foreskin, because nobody wants to be in trouble 
and on the hook for the crime of the theft of the foreskin 40 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. So there's just some foreskin pervert out there. There, I mean, that's always been the case. Could you, okay, right. (laughs) Could you imagine, like, hypothetically, of course, but, like, cleaning up your grandpa's stuff? And just finding and a finding skin foreskin, ring. like what would you do? Like, <laughs> clearly they stole it. Mm-hmm. Now, so do you admit to be like, I found this uh, in my grandpa's thing, or do you just be like, that's gross, Grandpa? You're a weird dude, and just check it. So the great thing about this is that realis- realistically, if you were going to find the foreskin, you would find it in a reliquary. Nobody's just letting... Wow, like, I, like, I picture like an Altoids tin with a foreskin in it. Like, that's actually <laughs> like what I... Yeah, that's burrito. what I'm actually <laughs> picture. Uh, like, literally nothing. Even the oil. I'm like, oh, it's like an Altoids tin filled with oil. <sighs> well, I mean, the alabaster box story leads uh, to that yeah, really that's, nicely. It's entirely what I've been thinking the so, entire time. The reliquary that the, the big, important, most popular foreskin was in was shaped pretty much like a cross. So you had a handle you could wave it around with, of course. And it was really conspicuous with jewels and gold or silver. And you would notice this in somebody's junk drawer or attic. This is a, a thing that would become really conspicuous and you you would take it to the church and go, hey, I got a thing, <laughs> I think. You take it to somebody to get it evaluated if you didn't know what it was. Oh, I'm, I looked up pictures. <laughs> but I regret that. Yeah. I definitely did a poly preface to like. Mm-hmm. So you didn't get Google foreskin, um, <laughs> but I still regret googling that. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So generally, there's no good reason to believe that somebody saved Jesus foreskin, in my opinion. From the number of claimants, there's plenty of reasons to be suspicious of any. Just like the head of St. John the Baptist. Just a different kind of head. Right. (laughs) Thanks for that. You're welcome. If you can't laugh, if I can't laugh at this, I'll just cry. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Anyway, there's, there's loads of more relics in in all of the religious traditions of the world we've only picked on a few that we thought would be interesting for you and have you participate in this conversation Um, in the imperial christian tradition there's a tendency to use the bible to defend the veneration of relics which is really weird considering the practice doesn't have a strong biblical basis we have the story of jesus healing a woman who had only touched his clothes in a crowded street We have a story of a dead body being thrown into the tomb of the prophet Elisha and being revived as soon as he touched Elisha's bones. And there are a handful of more healing stories of things kind of in that caliber. And these stories are used to validate the trafficking of relics. But theologically speaking, there's no real good reason that God would withhold blessings from somebody for not visiting the modal remains of a non-God. That's not a covenant any of us have made. It's just... I get the appeal of being connected to history, but some of these are really friggin' weird. Yeah, I mean, there's the history piece, and then, I mean, I hate to sort of dumb it down, but, like, this idea of celebrity or being close to greatness, 
that all humans get sucked into, whether that's your love of a celebrity or singer or Jesus. Mm-hmm. This idea of whatever, something bigger than ourselves or see our worship episode, right? <laughs> yeah, it's all complicated. Yeah. The Bible very clearly lays out laws against worshiping sculptures and figurines, as well as anything that isn't the God of the covenant. But as we said before, even though veneration and worship are linguistically, intellectually, and morally indistinguishable, the Church of Rome still insists, hey, they're different. <laughs> you can pray to the saints, you can go visit their relics, and you can pray to them. And it's not worship because you don't recognize them as gods, but you treat them as gods, and that makes it worship. <laughs> anyway, in 787 CE, the Second Council of Nicaea decided that veneration of relics is different than idolatry because bones and bags of loose wood don't fit either, don't fit their religiously motivated definition of inanimate. So we end up with a culture of prayer that looks an awful lot like, hey, saint such and such, I spent a lot of time and money traveling to your severed arm and skull. Would you mind putting in a good word for me at the heavenly help desk? <laughs> Which sounds like worship to me. Yep. <laughs> But as long as people have been collecting relics, there have always been counterfeits. Always. Because there's money to be made. Hey, you're after this thing. I got it. Preston, <laughs> Give me money. Preston just opened up this trench coat. It's so weird, guys. <laughs> uh, and it should be super obvious that counterfeits are a real problem just from the cases that we've cited already. It's, it's a real problem. And John Calvin really pointed out how ridiculous it was, even though his exact wording really exaggerated how many counterfeits there are. It does point out that it is a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, John Calvin, what a sassy man. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a fun, fun <laughs> dive into relics and... Uh, in our research, we found some from other religions, obviously. Mm -hmm. Judaism is not a relic religion. Right. Um, but there are some in Islam and Buddhism, so mm -hmm. we'll probably do another one. Or if there's more Christian relics you want us to talk about, because there are tons, we can there's do that so as well. You can message us on our social media, on our Discord. You can send us an email. Or you could buy a holy watermelon relic oh, on our spread I love shop. Holy, yep. <laughs> They're much cheaper and much more accessible than seeing the Shroud of Turin. Right. It's like 20 bucks and it gets shipped straight to your door. It's great. Great. Super convenient. It's like Amazon, but not evil. <laughs> holy even. Right. <laughs> And if you are interesting interested in providing ongoing support for the podcast, we have our Patreon. We do early releases of all our episodes if you can't wait for the next one. And we are doing more bonus episodes of this year. So be sure to check that out as well. Peace, Peace be, be with, with you. you. By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecy had fulfilled itself.